Welcome to the Learn It podcast. I'm Darren Bridget. I'm in charge of the uh, content development and strategy, and I'm joined today by our illustrious and now author, CEO, Damon Lemby. Uh, this nice is the first time we've ever done this. This is the first time we've ever done it. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. I hope we don't blow it. Yeah, you won't. <laughs> Um, so we're here because, uh, as I mentioned, Damon is an author. He just, um, yeah, but when's this book coming out? It's the 18th. Is that right? April 18th. And the title is the learn it all leader. And, uh, where can people find this book first off? Amazon, Amazon. all the, all the regular places. Barnes and Noble. And this is your first book, right? It's my first. Awesome. Well, uh, to kick it off, can you just give us just uh, like the, the jacket, the book, what's on the book jacket for this book? Like, you know, what's it about a little bit and why did you write it? Sure. The book's called The Learn It All Leaders, Mindset, Tools, and Traits. And I wrote it. What inspired me to write it really was I've been working at Learn It Now for 28 plus years, and I wanted to bottle up the stories, lessons, and just insights I have to, to help uh, individuals who want to either grow into a management position or are managers or leaders and, and evolve. And for those of you out there who maybe don't want to um, be leaders, but want to learn a little bit more from a perspective of somebody in my position as a CEO running a company for 28 plus years, what we look for in employees and, and team members. And most of all, I, I share a lot in the book around how somebody like myself was able to get where I'm at and that it's definitely out there and available for you to do so yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I, it, was, uh, it was very fun to read. I, had, I didn't know you were doing this and, uh, and it was, there's so many great stories in it. It's, 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 not, it's not dry. And, uh, and you are really, you know, you get a sense of where learn it is, where you come from. And I really get it, feel like I have a strong sense of you in this company. And, um, you know, I mean, honestly, I kind of, it's like, I feel a little more proud even uh, working at learn it after reading the book. Um, I like the way you divide it up too. You talk about the beginning is like mindset. And then the second half is like, okay, you develop this right mindset. And then the second half is like, how do you take action on these ideas? And in mindset, I think you have, um, you've got humility, curiosity, resilience and um and integrity is that right correct i mean those are kind of the big ideas that you those have are like the key traits that, that I, I try to touch on over and over yeah so why those i mean there's lots of traits out there why do those ones seem especially important well that's a great question i think that uh humility curiosity integrity and um resilience are are really key to, to success, you know, and they're, they're, but they're tough to teach, they're tough to teach as well, you know, so um, that's what we've kind of built our foundation on and a lot around our core values. And the stories that you mentioned are a lot of the individuals who worked um, previously for Learn It or currently uh, we have on our team and um, exude those traits. So yeah. yeah, that's kind of what the focus is. I like how when you get into the, the details of these things, it's like at the, on the surface level, yeah, sure, integrity, do the right thing. But what does it actually mean in daily practice? You know, it's, it's those core attributes. It's, it's both knowing like, what is that person uh, that I report to? What, it, what are their challenges? What do they actually care about? And then um, I need to still do all these same things because, I mean, you said it. You're looking for learn-it-alls not just people who can check boxes, which means right. you have ownership mindset and you do bring 
uh, that humility, that integrity, that resilience, and that curiosity, uh, which I also really like that you talked about. In fact, if we can pivot to curiosity, you were saying in the book that you actually credit curiosity as the what started the company. Like that, that when when Walt was looking around, it was his curiosity that helped to get us started. Mm-hmm. Um, I to me, if I had to boil everything down to just one idea, I would actually choose curiosity as like the superpower. Um, but you, but you devoted a whole chapter to it early in the book. So why curiosity? Why do you think that's such an important thing? When my when Walt, my dad went in and, and took a class, um, he he just thought he there has to be a better way to do this. So he got curious about what we can do, you know, how this could be done better. And I, I feel like curiosity plays a big role in everything because if you have a challenge or a problem or an outcome you're trying to solve, you should be asking yourself, is there a better way to do this? You know, are, are there other avenues? How can we get creative? You know, instead of, I don't think situations are always just black and white. You know, I mean, I, I think that curiosity helps you open up, have a beginner's mind and, um, and find alternative solutions. I think we've always, and this just isn't me, but we've always had team members that learn it who have gotten curious and, and they've really helped elevate, learn it through finding ways to, to either be more efficient, build better content or, and better, and really just better support our customers. Yeah. 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 And it's more fun. I, I just think it's, it's, it's more fun. It's better than, than, you know, I've, I've been in conversations where, with, uh, with high level business people with a ton of experience and other individuals who uh, can really, really learn from the, the, the women and men uh, with a ton of experience. And instead of sitting there and listening and being curious what they have to say, you know, kind of debating like, oh, I don't agree. You know, I think this is how we do it, you know? And it's amazing because that immediately turns the other person off. Like, why should they be sharing their ideas if, if the person isn't going to be curious and open to what we have to say? Yeah. yeah. It feels like it's so important for it to be a combo of curious and, and open, like that mm-hmm. beginner's mind. Because it's like you really, we talk about with communication all the time, how important it is to be curious and empathic, but it's that curiosity that lets you know, well, what is this per- person's perspective and what am I missing here? Assume that charitable intent that they're coming from someplace that makes sense. And then you're trying to find out what it is. And then you're not locking into what you think something should be, um, which is so easy to do right off the bat. So it, it's, I think it's everywhere in the organization. It's at the top where you have to maintain that kind of openness instead of just my way the highway. But even throughout everywhere else in the organization, you, you kind of have to keep that mindset. Of why are we doing it this way? Not to be a pain in the ass, but to help be efficient and have that ownership mindset. I, I think you, you want to build a culture, whether you have 50 employees or 50,000 employees, where, where people remain curious and, and they're motivated enough around the work that they do that that whatever it is they're doing, trying to find ways to be either more efficient or, or better serve the customers. And uh, leadership can really benefit from having frontline workers and people at all levels who remain curious and, and, and don't just come in and, and think, well, this is how we're doing. This is how we always have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into it too much, though, in case people don't know a lot about Learn It, can you just give us, uh, you know, a couple minute version of the Learn It story and how you arrived here? I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, oldest of uh, four siblings and great parents. Uh, growing up, sports played a major role in my family 
in me. And I was fortunate enough in my senior year in high school to be drafted by the Atlanta Braves in the 13th round. And I had my first very tough decision I talk about in the book between taking the journey as a 17-year-old minor leaguer or um, going to Pepperdine University on a baseball scholarship. I ended up deciding on going to Pepperdine. And the at Pepperdine, I struggled and got hurt, ended up leaving, went to Arizona State, had a, a good career at Arizona State, and uh, was really hoping to play professional baseball. Unfortunately, I my dream ended. I wasn't drafted. And right when I was getting out of school, at the same time, my my dad, we had a large real we had a large real estate company, and he was looking for a way to track his portfolio, uh, not on paper anymore, and took my one of my sisters, Chelsea, to a, a computer class to learn Excel. Again, this is 1995, and he thought the class was boring, stale, long, and expensive. And he said to himself, getting back to curiosity, he's like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that's where Learnit was born. And so like a lot of great entrepreneurs, Walt, big Walt, as we call him, went out and solved his own problem. And I just was fortunate enough that as my baseball career was ending, Learnit was starting. And I never really worked before because I was always playing baseball. And so I was a little intimidated going into our real estate company or our hotels and I went and started off as a receptionist at Learn It. And that was in June of 1995. <laughs> and here I am 28 years later. And uh, what I talk a lot about in the book um, is my experiences and stories of uh, successes, but also a lot of the failures and learning lessons along the way that I'm hoping um, can help others in their journey. Yeah, I really appreciate that. You, uh, you certainly shared those moments, uh, you know, learning moments shall we say uh for yourself and and uh also a lot of great moments for other people in the book too there are there are lots of sports stories but there's also stories about business about your employees stories you got stories about rock and roll uh, which i know is a big passion of yours uh going to concert in fact could you just take a minute to talk about that i know this is this is a big passion for you what is it about like if you know damon lemby you know live music is is a big part of your life I don't know, really, to be honest. I just, I've just always enjoyed going to uh, live shows and all different types of music. And I was fortunate enough early on, um, back in the day, to meet up with individuals who had connections to the music scene, and have had some pretty great stories. I, I have a gun, great uh, Guns N' Roses story in in the book that yeah. was one of my favorite bands of all time. But um, you know, I just, I, I just love music and you know just kind of went from there well i think it's important that you know you when you add it all up at the end of the day you're talking about doing the work do the hard work put it in right. that's what you're talking about um but you're also talking about learning at the same time and it starts to feel like there's a lot to do and you got to focus but that you're you got to live a life outside of work like you do you have other interests have things you really care about i know you've got a, a young family now too and that all that stuff matters you can't just be you can't live in a little bubble right no I, and i think i think it's evolved over time too you know like you mentioned i do have a five-year-old and a one-year-old so my priorities have changed over the years yeah. and maybe not going to as many concerts or having as many great Learn to get togethers as we have in the past, also with the pandemic. But um, I, I feel like that I, I've tried to evolve that way as well. Yeah. 
for the better. So we're going to get into the to the meat of the book here in just a minute. But this kind of just for me, honestly. But yeah. you, you know, I, and you you uh, you do talk about some of the the struggles and the things that helped you learn and grow. But you also had some pretty good success. And so here's here's this question for me. Um, I play golf a little bit. When I want, we're have the, about to have the Masters right now. Sometimes you'll see players where their feet are like almost hanging off of like over an overlip onto water, like on the edge of the green, trying to make a putt that's super important. I feel like if that was me, I would fall into the water. Like I'd be so nervous I'd, to miss the putt that I'd be the guy who'd fall in the water. And you, you overcame those things in your career. And you have that, that moment that I just want you to tell it because I love the story of hitting that home run in the College World Series uh, that was a significant home run that was written up in the papers, um, you know, at the risk of, uh, well, can I hear the story? That's all. Sure. Yeah. So what you're referring to is, um, and uh, my poor wife says she's heard the story so many times. So, so. <laughs> Gary, you can turn this off and turn it back on a little bit. So- yeah. In my uh, my junior year, we were in the College World Series, yeah. and we were the first game of the and on CBS. Our we were main focus because our coach Jim Brock was in the final stages of of a, uh, liver cancer, and um, he came to the games and he was sitting there. And I was real. I was pretty nervous. Here we are in Rosenblatt Stadium in front of about twenty twenty five thousand fans, and um, my first at bat. I uh, struck out on three pitches and I said, oh my gosh, it's going to be one of these days, you know? And so, uh, and so I went back to the dugout and, and then I came up again a couple innings later and I got a two, one fastball and I, and I hit it to left center field and keep in mind, I wasn't, I was never a fast runner, but as I, as I was starting to round first base, I can see that the center fielder, Bruce Thompson, who's a great ball player, reach up to try to catch the ball. And I couldn't see if he caught it or if he didn't, but his glove came off. And if you know anything about baseball, you know that if the ball is attached to your glove but not on your arm, then it's it's live play. And so I, you know, ran as fast as I could around second. And as I was coming towards third, my third base coach, who was a great mentor for me, it, uh, John Pearson, is like, "Hey." the ball went out of the park that, you know, it's a home run, you know, enjoy your home run trot. You hit a home run in the college world series. So I get home, everybody, everybody uh, congratulated me and we went on to win the, the game. And I still remember as I'm leaving the dugout, coach Brock was sitting in the same chair as he was. And he, he loved to, you know, give me a hard time. Um, but he kind of pointed at me, said, come over here, Lemby. So I came over and you can barely speak. And, and I, uh, he whispered in my ear, he said, you know, that home run trot of yours in the fourth inning, it was the worst friggin' home run trot I've ever seen. Ugliest friggin' home run trot I've ever seen. I looked at him and I, and I'm like, I couldn't tell if he was, uh, you know, give me a hard time or, or dead serious. And then he said, you know, gave me the sign to go away. And um, that was the last time I ever um, saw Coach Brock in person. You know, he didn't make it to the next game and, and died um, about a week later. But what a courageous human being he was. And I was so grateful to be there um, on that team and be able to learn from him and tell the story now for probably the 6,000th time. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, it's which was great, fun. It's a great story. You learn from both, you know, the, the failures and the successes. Something I think is really interesting about this story, though, too, is it's it's not like you didn't have nerves. You know, you were oh, so nervous. And so the first nervous. time you felt like maybe it yeah. won't work. 
but you, you're able to work through it. And I think sometimes people, when they come to us for learning, you know, I, I want you to make it so that I, I don't have very anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not that exactly. It's, it's a balance of being able to like live in a healthy way mm-hmm. and live with some of that stress in a positive way and still get to where you want to go. And um, it's hard for sometimes for people to, to um, manage that in a way that feels like they can do it and also feels um, healthy, you know, like they can take it. Absolutely. It's, anyway, it's a great story. Early in the book, like right off in the right off the bat in the beginning, you talk about uh, how our company's name became your personal mission, which is very much how I know you. And what's so interesting to me about that is you contrast that with being a know-it-all. Learning all is what you want to be, know-it-all is what you don't want to be. But for you, with this lifetime of learning, you could have ended up a know-it-all. And I know that's not how you are. So that's kind of my question. Like, how do you stay in that beginner's mind and uh and i'll just always stay open as a learner instead of just being that i know everything let me let me show off well great questions and let me start by saying i've had my know-it-all moments i think we all have and as time goes on i feel like i've gotten better at staying open and and having a beginner's mind um Mm -hmm. learn it i'm passionate about learning and i've really had the great opportunity to learn from whether it's great coaches or mentors and people like yourself, Darren, throughout the years that learn it. And it's really difficult to run a business, to, to be in a family where you're, you're set in your ways and, and then you're, you're the only direction can go. And I've really learned over time too, that I've been, it's, there's been certain times where I've thought sure of myself in a certain way, so called know-it-all and that others had better uh, diverse opinions a lot of times. So it's taken practice, and uh, I'm I'm really focused on spending more time being open and, and seeing what's out there. Yeah, I think that's great. It's um, it's it's not an easy thing to do to uh, to stay open to, and to not get you know locked in to like what you think and to hold on to it. Um, so I appreciate that you, that you uh, you bring that up. Something else you talk about early in the book is going all in, which is like how important it is to be really passionate and committed, which again is the man know to be really true about you. You talk about some obstacles, the imposter syndrome, uh, the lucky curse, which I think is interesting and I haven't heard that talked about very much. You can talk about that more if you want. But what I really liked is that underneath all of that, you talked about fear being the real essential ingredient. And I think a lot of people in business are, especially leaders, are even afraid to really talk about fear because you, you've got to promote a big positive image. But you're not afraid to go there, talk about fear and, and really talk about your own journey in overcoming fear. Um, could you just say a little bit more about, yeah, about that, about fear and your, your, your journey in overcoming some of these fears that were holding you back? Sure. I, I think at some point, everybody's fearful of something, you know, and and those who who try to pretend or act as they're not, you know, people, you can kind of see through that. So kind of like what I talked about in the book is identifying those fears and addressing them and trying to work through them, you know, and, and I talk a little bit about a term pop, uh, purposely awfulizing, where it's looking at the situation and saying to yourself, well, I'm taking on this new job, okay? Worst case scenario, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? It doesn't go well, either get demoted or, or, or fired. Hey, well, is that the end of the day? I mean, is that the end of the world? No, it's not. So it's looking at things and putting things really, Darren, in 
the big picture. There are people out there who have a, a lot. I'm not trying to minimize my fear or somebody else's fear, but putting it out there for what's going on out in the world. There's a war going on. There's a lot of struggle out there. So, hey, you know, my challenges may be difficult to myself, but there's a lot of people out there who have fear and, and other things they need to overcome too. So yeah. that's pretty much how I've I've worked to address it over time. I mean, it's 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 difficult, you know, it's difficult. And sometimes the best way to do that is through going all in. And what I talk a little bit about in my book is a, a three-step approach. One is to is hard work. You know, this is after you've already identified what the fear is. One yeah. is through hard work. And I'm not saying you need to put in 14 hour days and seven days a week, but you need to put in hard book uh, dedicated work. Number two is focus. A lot of times when you're fearful of something, you, you procrastinate and maybe you don't want to address it, but yeah. it's tough enough to deal with what you have. So you need to focus and hit it head on. And then number three is continue learning. And sometimes don't even take yourself too serious. You know, if you fall down, you make a mistake, learn from that mistake and keep moving forward. So those yeah. are those are what I've used in my life to to deal with uh, imposter syndrome or fear. And, and sometimes it's like, if something, if, if through the challenges, you know, we've been through at Learn It, where over really three recessions, a lot of times people would say, are you worried? I'm like, well, of course you're worried and, and, and fearful for what's going on, but worrying's really not going to get you anywhere. You know, addressing it and giving it your best effort is, is really what my advice is and, and what I've tried to do throughout the years. I think that's so great. And I like that there was that clear uh, kind of walking people through how to deal with this stuff. And it uh, it is a big deal when you're leading a company and you've got to make some big um, some big moves or, uh, uh, and make decisions all day long and people are looking to you. It's easy to let fear be the driver and not recognize it because it's, it's not that you it's just that ability to say, OK, is this really true? Am I right about this or is this actually coming from fear somewhere? for me and then for other people in the company and then be able to move past it, which is such a good thing. And I think a lot of people just skip that step and they just hold on to like, this is what I know, this is what it's gonna be true and we're just gonna do this thing or we're not gonna do this thing because really I'm just too afraid. So, um, you had an amazing college sports career. Like you, you've applied a lot of those lessons you learned early in life to your role leading uh, Learn It and being a Learn It All leader. What advice would you have for young people when it comes to uh, sports and helping them achieve their goals and uh, live, you know, kind of live up to their potential. Great question. You know, just the other night I was having dinner with uh, an acquaintance, um, now more of a friend, who was uh, 500th in the world in tennis. Uh, um, he's also my age, around 50, and and now he's in the finance finance world. And we were just talking and sharing stories about sports, and I. I didn't even mention to him that I, that I wrote a book and it's coming out. And, and he just, you know, he turned to me and he said, you know, I, I learned more from playing tennis and competing than I did at Wharton business school. And, yeah. and, you know, and I kind of shook my head and, and I kind of agreed in a sense where it's like sports has been able to help teach me discipline, camaraderie, collaboration, and, and, and really, really, great athletes too are also able to learn how to be coached you know so that they're, they're able to take advice and and implement it and and be open to to and that's what sports has helped with and more than anything resilience you know when you play baseball for instance 
you know, seven out of 10 times you fail. So you just got to kind of get back up and, and do it again. And, and like my, my buddy mentioned was the mental, uh, the mental aspect of sports is huge. And all yeah. of that can be translated into, into the business world as yeah. well. So um, I was really fortunate. Yeah. I didn't go, both of us said this, you know, neither yeah. of us went to, you know, Harvard or Stanford graduate school, business school, which is awesome. But we got a, a graduate level education uh, out in, in, in division one sports and professional sports. So um, that's really how I tie it back to, and you don't have to play at a division one level. You can be a high school or junior high school um, sports and, and still learn quite a bit too. I don't know that I learned resilience as well as you in my uh, very limited sports <laughs> career. I didn't bounce back as well. So yeah, there's... But, tell us, but tell me a little bit how, I mean, you do have a pretty prolific acting career and acting just like sports, Darren, there's a lot of failure in it. What did you learn from, you know, from your acting career? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I felt like I had a much harder time with resilience in sports than I did with acting. And part of it, I think, is because I started acting. I did some acting when I was very young. And I just had confidence because I, I had a positive experience of, around it from the very beginning. Like I knew how to be in front of an audience and it just felt like that was comfortable and easy. And then um, what I would do kind of later in my career is I felt like I I felt like I couldn't lose in a certain way because if, if I didn't get the lines perfectly right, if I forgot my lines or if something happened on stage that was unexpected, I, I had disaster proof to myself. Like I knew what it was that I was talking about right. and I knew how to stay in the moment. And I trusted myself to be able to um, turn those moments sometimes into almost the best moments in a play. Um, so you, you kind of like learn to, I don't know that you can do that as much in sports because in, in acting you're kind of selling a story as opposed to like no I have to win the point I have to actually you know I have to hit the ball you know over the fence to get that home run for us to win the game it's pretty definitive um, in acting you're kind of just shaping a story and it's a little bit more emotional so I always felt like I had an out great <clears throat> I want to have a question for you one more about on the sports topic is um, there's this great line in Ted Lasso. Uh, where one of the players has missed a penalty. No, they, they hit a penalty kick that like killed the mascot. And now he's got a block just about penalty kicks. Not about anything else, but can't make penalty kicks. And Ted Lasso's advice is to be a goldfish because goldfish has a 10 second memory, which is really great, fun advice. But it's still like, that. how do you do that in practice though? Like, so for you as an athlete, how did you build that muscle to like let yourself forget about those times that you struck out? You know, I mean, I just, I don't know how you do that. It's gotta be so hard. It's a, it is incredibly hard. And I've been fortunate to become friends with Steve Sachs, who is the famous second baseman for the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers amongst other teams. And and a lot of people real, know Steve as someone who had a hard time throwing the ball from second base to first base. Oh, right. uh, what a lot, what right. a lot of people don't realize is that I believe he won the golden glove after that and went on and had an amazing career. And we've had conversations around that before. And you just have to work your way through it. You, you have to work your way through it. And you, and you have to also kind of reflect back on the success that you've had, you know, and, and also so hey, I have done this before and visualize yourself being successful as well. So it's difficult, you know, in sports and sometimes in business, you know, in baseball, sometimes it looks like a golf ball coming up to the plate and you can't hit anything. Other times it looks like a balloon and it's mostly mental. 
And it's just, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's something that the great athletes, great musicians and great business people learn to work through. You have so many great stories in this book and they really span everything. I mean, there's a lot of sports stories, but you've got um, great stories about Learn It, great, really great stories about uh, people I know still working at Learn It, colleagues and former colleagues and, and, and weathering, um, you know, the financial storms, mm-hmm. you know, because you've had Learn It going for a while. You also have a lot of great stories about uh, Walt, your dad, Big W. Mm-hmm. And um who is this, who comes across as this very successful and kind of larger than life figure. So um, I, just, I just wanted you to, to be able to, like, is there any stories about Walt that you left out? And, um, and I know Walt was a really good storyteller. Like, like maybe just give you a moment to talk about Walt and, and stories in general. Great question. <clears throat> so Walt was my best friend and, you know, my first true mentor. And he was also... He, act, he was also very innovative, which, you know, quite frankly, I don't feel like I have that same innovative gene that he does. He, he would come up with these amazing ideas. And a lot of times he'd go out and he learned to settle his own challenges. Like that's how Learn It came about, which I talk a little bit about in the book, is that Walt would, he went and took a class with my sister, Chelsea, realized early on that it was boring and stale and decided there's got to be a better way to deliver um, training at a cost-effective price for everybody. And that's really where the, where Learn It came from. A story about Walt that I didn't talk about in my book was here he is, this really successful business person. And I mentioned in my book that I used to, he used to let me tag along and go to these um, meetings with, with you know, high-powered bankers and, and other real estate guys and, and everything. But when Learn It first kicked off, one of our main forms of marketing. Now, remember, this was 1995, you know, and so the internet was in its infancy. And one of our main forms of marketing was something that he learned from his dad, uh, Frank Lemby, my grandfather, who is an absolute character, who um, was one of the toughest gentlemen I ever met, uh, fought in both theaters, uh, the Pacific and, and Europe in World War II. And one of the ways that they always marketed their business was through flyers, passing out flyers. And I remember... And I remember this was probably early in 96, 97, we'd have tens, tens of thousands of flyers. And my dad would load up the Toyota van at the time with a couple of my buddies who were all in their 20s. And we'd drive around San Francisco. And here was Walt Lemby putting flyers on cars, you know, with all of us, you know, and he would just he'd roll up his sleeves and, and do the work. And that's really one of the things that I loved uh, about my dad was he wasn't afraid to roll up his sleeves. And then he was also... Um, and, and do the work. And also he got along with everybody, you know, he, whether it was a barista at Starbucks or, you know, some VP in, in finance, you know, Walt was, you know, he was able to adapt and, and, and talk to everybody, but those were great days. We still tell the stories about, Hey, remember when we all jumped in your dad's car and passed out flyers around San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. You know, the, the, having that tradition of great stories, it's so important in a business too. Like, don't forget your stories and uh, and lean into them. It's such a great example and a great example of leading by example. You know, like getting. And also, your- I think you know, Darren, you're a great storyteller. You know, you're 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 a great storyteller. But one thing, especially when it comes to business stories, I found is sometimes it's not necessarily the words and what you're saying, but it's how you come across. 
Do you come across as being authentic? Do you come across as being motivational, you know, without, without being over the top? So that was another thing about my dad is uh, whether it was a soccer in between soccer games, or I'd go to uh, see him when he was the um, CEO of uh, Continental Savings, our savings and loan. And, and he would have his team, uh, hundreds of people in the room and, he would just be himself and just talk him through and you'd say, we're going to do this, you yeah. know, and he set the vision. And I can't tell you looking out into the audience, how proud I'd be with, of him, of everybody getting excited and everybody always got behind him, you yeah. know, in the work he did. And, and so that was always something that I, that I wanted to emulate was his, his form of, you know, motivating his team. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, it's clear that attitude is like a big part of this for you. You know, that, that, that uh, personality of big W uh, your dad, but he, he was in the trenches with people too. And uh, something you talk about in your book, when it comes to being a leader, there's there's the first part of the book, which is really about the mindset and the, the attributes. You talk about things like integrity, resilience, uh, curiosity, um, talk about integrity, which mm -hmm. I also really appreciate. But then in the second book, you focus more on some practical things. And one of those is attitude, is like getting the right people on the team, right? Mm -hmm. You talk about coachable players. In fact, I think you tell a story about letting somebody go who was had everything on the resume right, even could have been a rainmaker. But if they don't have the right attitude, if they're not what you call a coachable player, like somebody who also has that learn it all attitude, absolutely know it all. They're, absolutely, like, you're not going to put up with that. So, can you talk about like why that's important? And and it feels like a risk for people to let go of somebody who's really good. If like, why is that attitude so important to you? Um, in business well I, I would i would take somebody who's coachable over past experience any day of the week i, re, I really would because i mean for several reasons one is the, the the work climate that we're in is always evolving so what worked yesterday or last year or five years ago may not work in the future and we all have to be able to lead by example but also have an open mind and being willing to adjust learn and change and you can you can have People come from your same industry who come to work for you and they're like, well, this is how we did this there. This is how we did it there. Well, you know what? You know, and they get stuck in their ways. I want individuals and uh, leaders on, in our company who are, who are flexible, open-minded and willing to uh, say, hey, you know what? Maybe there is a better way to do it. Like I talk about in the book, it's leaders aren't born in my opinion and they're, and they're not really made I like to say they're in the making. They're continuously evolving in their career. And yeah. I think that that's more exciting too, you know, mm -hmm. than have somebody who's who's reached their peak and, and they think they know that, that, that they know it all, you know? Yeah. And also coachable people tend to be, take themselves less serious and are open to making mistakes and admitting mistakes, which I think yeah. is, which I think is, which I think is huge. Yeah, they're kind of just more fun to be around, aren't they? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it, it I, for us, it's important because it's consistent with who we are. If you join learning, you know, this is who you have to be. This is what's expected of you. And it's, it's part of that culture. It's part of identity. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned early, earlier about your colleagues. The thing that's motivated me the most over the, the past close to three decades, if you can believe it, are the people that I've been, been so fortunate to surround myself with. Yeah. I mean, incredible talent, you know, both that's with us right now and individuals who started with us and, and now have C-level roles at companies from Autodesk to their own startups. Yeah. And it's amazing being able to get th that level of talent on your team 
help and being part of their journey. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I think that um, definitely don't have any kind of secret sauce or secret power, as they say, but I've been really fortunate to work with um, and attract and retain for several years, great talent. And that's elevated, that's elevated me and, and, and wanted me to continue to grow and evolve by surrounding myself with people who are quite frankly, smarter and better. Yeah, yeah. It's something then that you mentioned, I think is interesting to contrast with this, because it's pretty obvious that you care a lot about the people that, that, that work with you. And there's that level of passion and, and, and commitment and you, you invest in them. But you also say that work shouldn't be exactly like family, like it's different. So, so how do you draw that distinction between, you know, I'm invested in these people, I care, I want to know about their personal lives a little bit, there's a little bit more of a personal relationship, not purely professional, but, but you also say it shouldn't be the same as like, this is my family. Correct. I, I mean, I look at it this way. I, I think I originally, well, I've heard it before, but there was the, the woman who was the uh, HR leader at Netflix wrote a book and talked a lot about it. Can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I believe it. I can never outgrow Uncle Bob. I don't have an Uncle Bob, but you cannot, you can't outgrow your family. They're always going to be your family, you know? Yeah. And when it comes to uh, your, 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 your team, your employees, there, there's sometimes there is a point where they outgrow, they outgrow, learn it, or, you know, the next step up for them is, it's not going to get you to the next level. And, and that's where it's more like a team than, than, than an actual family loyalty. Look, I, I feel like I'm a pretty loyal and um, good friend to, to, to a lot of our employees and whatever, but when it comes to learn it, you know, it's okay. I, I tell stories in the book about individuals who, out, you know, who worked for us for 15, 20 years, but they, it was time for them to move on and, and evolve, you know, and um, they hit their, they hit their stride at learn it. And then they, they hit their ceiling and it was time for them to get maybe uncomfortable, get out in the workforce and, uh, one of the individuals I talk about in the book, I mean, is is just so successful now. And, and again, I'm a, I'm proud to be part of his role. So, does that make sense? Kind of how I look at it, the difference between a team and and what's your no, thoughts? I, yeah, I think it's exactly right. It it is a hard thing to do because, um, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, Peter Drucker. Like, you can't you do, you don't want to be their their family exactly, and especially if you're CEO, you can't afford to be like you know kind of too much like friends because it becomes a bit of a weird line but you also need to be personally invested and, and and allow that that's how you create a strong culture and know who the people are that's how you can give you know we talk a lot in our company and in, in the product side about um uh, psychological safety that ability to like you know be direct with people uh, you earn that with psychological safety which means that you've taken a personal interest in people's lives and you care and that's that's how people can trust that you have their best interests in mind when you're giving them uh, feedback and you're uh, you're arguing ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is it is a little bit of a weird balance. It's, it's uh, important, and I and I have two kind of stories around that. One is you don't want well the first one's not a story, but you don't want yes people around you who just tell you you're always right. You want you want people who feel comfortable to come to you and say you know what Damon, I disagree with what you have to say here. You know, and 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 then have a open conversation I'm and one story I talk about in our book in my book is um a relatively new COO Ben Spike who's great and at one point you know Ben contacted me and, and he's like 
hey, I, I feel like you've been kind of micromanaging me over the last couple of weeks or so. And I just want to let you know that that's really not, you know, that's not the best way I feel. To, doesn't motivate me. You know, it doesn't motivate me. And, and uh, I was wondering if there's something we could talk about and, and get better at. Now, and again, this has been a process for me too. You know, 15 yeah. years ago, I probably would have got super defensive over a yeah. conversation like that. But these days I sat back, took a breath, and I really listened to what Ben had to say, you know, because at the end, and listened and heard him out. And I feel like at that point, it, it also gave him the confidence uh, to feel, to speak his feelings to me. And he told me um, several weeks afterwards, he's like, my previous company, you can never do that. You can never challenge management or, or whatever, even though he was on the management team. So it's a, you know, it's a skill that, that I've tried to learn over the years and um, being open and creating a psychological safe space for your team is important. The other story I had around that was, you know, sometimes you have a team and there's one person in a meeting who's always speaking up all the time, always speaking up and talking, but in a way where everybody else just yeah. kind of sits there and backs down and doesn't say anything. You know? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's not a fantastic environment either because you're disregarding other ideas that other people may have. They say, well, I'm not going to talk because so-and-so she's talking all the time. Right. So I think, I feel like we've also gotten better over the years is, is having a coachable group of people who are better listeners and open to other ideas. Yeah. You know, um, if you get, like I said, if you get in a meeting and you have a know-it-all in there and she's saying, you know, this, 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 and this, everybody else just kind of sits back and says, I'm, I'm just going to let yeah. so-and-so yeah. speak. Yeah. 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 I hope I, I think that is something I need to always, I'm always trying to work on that myself. I really like learning like you do, but then I get attached to my ideas. I need to learn to let go. So something that happened, uh, and actually it would be interesting to hear your perspective on some of these things. Where do you think learning is going now post pandemic? And I, and I bring it up because you talk about, um, I love this expression management by wandering around back in the old days, learn it had that great office. And, and I know you, you, everybody did a lot of fun things together before my time, <laughs> take it away. You can't wander around anymore. And, and the pandemic changed a lot of things. So I guess it's two questions. Like, how, did, how is that for you leading your company? And where do you think the future of learning is post-pandemic? Well, good question. I, to start off, that uh, Tom Peters, uh, management by wandering around, MBWA, I think that's what it is, uh, yeah. in his great book, In Search of Excellence. And that's something I've always tried to model is just when we were all in person together, is just walking around, speaking to receptionists, talking to the sales team going out to lunch with the instructors and hearing other people's perspectives. And it's, and it's amazing. Um, post pandemic, you know, obviously there's a lot more uh, remote work or hybrid work and, and it's, and it's more challenging. It's more challenging. And to be able to do that, I think it's just setting aside time and having individual conversations, just going out of your way. I try to make a habit of contacting two or three people a week and just, reaching out to them, see how they're going, what are they seeing, and and, you, and still learning a lot. And periodically, at least quarterly, trying to get everybody or certain teams together where we can we can work together in person. I think that uh, remote work works just fine. 
And, but I do think that there's um, the opportunity to collaborate in person uh, is fantastic. I think it's fantastic. So trying to find those types of opportunities. To answer your question about learning moving forward, yeah. it was funny when, when the, well, not funny, but when the pandemic first happened, a lot of our customers would come to us and say, there's no way we can learn emotional intelligence uh, virtually, you know, or, you know, how to do a difficult conversation. And when people realized that that the, the pandemic wasn't going to end anytime soon, they slowly were okay with doing their, delivering their trainings virtually. And A, not only did they realize that it can be successfully done virtually, but it was also, especially at a time where people needed social connection, it was a great motivator for, for them. And as training moves forward, I look at it like virtual doctor's visits. I don't know what the stat was, but prior it was maybe a very small percentage of doctor's visits were virtual. Since then, it's exponentially gone up and people have kind of gotten just indoctrinated Noctrated in whatever the word is into into virtual doctor's visits. So I think that there's a, a ton of opportunity, and uh, this the corporate training is you know hundred billion dollar industry, and the younger generations, the Gen Z and and, and everything are really demanding um, the, the the opportunity for personal growth. And I think with that, with the technology that's coming out, whether it's virtual reality. Um, some of the on-demand work and wraparound stuff that we're even trying to do at Learn It, I think that training is always continuously evolving. And with that being said, I don't think there's ever really going to be a substitute for a live instructor class, whether that's virtual or in person. Yeah, yeah, nice. But I think it's exciting. I think it, I think that I look at Lucy and 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 Wally and um, their opportunity to grow and evolve uh, personally and professionally in the in the upcoming years is, is going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, a couple little bit more, maybe uh, rapid fire question. You can take all the time you want, but I'll take less time. Um, should you, here's a question for you. Okay. Because of your position as a learning professional, uh, should you work on improving weaknesses or elevating strengths? Which do you think is better? I'm a big fan on improving uh, strengths, working on strengths. Yeah. And to me, it's, you look at it like, when we go out and find team members, we look to try to figure out, we try to find great people and figure out what their strengths are and point them towards those positions. Now, I'm not saying you can't work on your weaknesses, but I think you should really, I think you get a bit better impact focusing on the strengths and elevating those, you know, because typically if something, if it's something somebody's strong with, they typically tend to enjoy that more, you know, so um, I would focus on strengths. This is more like more bang for your buck in a way. You get more bang for your buck. Yeah. I said I wasn't going to talk, but now I'm going to talk. No, no, no. I, what do you, I, 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 was, I wanted to ask you, what's your take on it? Do you, do you focus on improving the weaknesses or do you go at the strengths? I was so focused on improving my weaknesses when I was younger that I felt like I, in retrospect, it was kind of a waste. Like I tried to do all these things that I just wasn't good at instead of focusing on things that I could do. It's, I don't know if you know that Cal Newport book about like what sort of job you should do. And he talks about like, do what you're really good at instead yeah. of trying so hard to do something else. Like, what do you, what are you already successful at? And then live your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I do kind of wish I'd taken that advice a little bit more to heart. I think, I do think you get more bang for your buck with the strengths-based um, approach. It doesn't mean you ignore your weaknesses. You know? No, you don't want to ignore your weaknesses, but focus on strengths. <laughs> it's, it's, Even when it comes to reading books, one thing I've gotten better at is 
if I'm reading a book in the past, I just try to finish it, I, no matter what. Yeah. But yeah. if yeah. I'm struggling to get through the book, yeah. now it's like, put it down, and read something else, you know? Yeah. So yeah. focus on, again, something you're passionate about or, or that you're, you're strong in. To give you an example, uh, currently we, we have a, a gentleman on our sales team, Nick Cruitt, who's awesome. And he's awesome, especially at account management and, and developing customers. He didn't yeah. love cold calling. You know, yeah. he, he didn't love cold calling and, and the outbound reach. He would do it. Yeah. But I thought to myself, okay, what, what should we spend time with Nick? Should we spend time with him on, you know, practicing his objection handling and cold calling? Or should we put him in a position where he can evolve as an account director, which he's taken that role to a new level? Yeah. So that's kind of an example of focus on somebody's strengths. I, that's great. And you know, you do do that. It's that, it's that idea that you take coachable players, like yep. the people you want on your team and then find the right fit for them. And you let that be part of what involves the company, yep. um, which I think is, um, I'll tell a quick acting story. Um, you know, when you're acting, you, you're on set, you got to hit your marks. And, and especially if it's like this super teeny little thing where like the light's going to hit a, a certain place. And um, there are sets where you go and as an actor, they just tell you, you got to do this. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly you're working with an actor and I'm looking over here, I can't even see their face. And it's really hard to work as an actor. The best sets are the ones where uh, you go on set, it's just the actors, it's just the directors, and then the director of photography just watches and you work out the scene so that you're working out from like, what do the characters want to do? What's the story right. really about? And then you light that instead of the other way around. And I kind of feel like that's your approach with people in the company. Like, let's get the right people and yeah. then adjust a little bit to them instead of force them into these um, little boxes. Well, I think you can, you know, the, the key traits I really look at when hiring individuals and I try to, you know, lead myself are, are humility, curiosity, integrity, and resilience. That, that's really what they are. And, and a lot of that is very tough to teach. So if you could find individuals that have that and also are in line with our core value, you can teach them skills. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, we're a learning organization. And as you know, Darren, we do it. We invest heavily in our team for learning opportunities, yeah. but it's tough to teach humility, humility or yeah. curiosity and yeah. integrity, you know? So we find individual, you find great individuals and then you try to mold them into or deliver them into a position where they're going to have the most chance for success. Yeah, I think it's great. It is hard to find those people because it's hard to put those things on a resume in a way where you know if it's really true. So, I, I mean, and you don't always hit it right, but any advice on how to find those? Absolutely, absolutely. I would say, and there's studies that prove this, so it's not just me saying it, is referrals. You know, individuals who work at Learn It uh, who refer other individuals, you know, so people who, who have and exude those characteristics, those traits, you know, reaching out to their community and their network, because they know whether or not somebody will be a good fit out, learn it, you know, and, and, and what we stand for and our core values. So that's really, if you built the culture that you want, which yeah. is a hard thing to do, yeah, but yeah. you built the culture that you want. And then it's, asking the individuals who, on your team to go out and, and, and help um, recruit and find other individuals to bring into your, to your team. That's, yeah. that's my number one. Um, yeah. I have other tricks, 
yeah. that just questions you could ask around in the interview process. What's the last book you've read? You know, yeah. what, what hobbies do you have? You know, just to try to get an idea of where people come from. But number one, I really like looking for internal referrals. Awesome. So Damon, uh, Learn It All Leader, great title. It makes really a lot of sense that that, that would have been your approach around this book because you've been, um, you know, that's your role. But uh, a lot of people who might be listening to this might not be a leader yet, or maybe they're not even so much interested in being a leader or they're an L&D professional. What can people take away from this book who aren't leaders yet? Well, first of all, my definition of a leader isn't someone who has direct reports all the time. You know, I, I think that you can be a leader as an individual contributor, absolutely. So what I what I feel that people who maybe don't uh, inspire to aspire to be a leader of a team or a manager is, for one, it kind of gives you the insights. I think of what a CEO in my position has to, you know think about and, and wants from their team. So especially if you're new in the workforce and you're coming in and you want to like, okay, I want to really do well and be successful and, and move up, you know, getting the insights of what's important to somebody in my position, I, I think is a, is a, is a great opportunity. Uh, yeah. Also, you know, we mentioned, we talked about in, in my book, imposter syndrome and decision-making, those are tools and that, that everybody has to learn and get better at. So I think yeah. that there's a, there's a great opportunity. Um, and I do my best really try to share some of my successes, but also some of the failures and things that we could have done better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things I love about this book is it makes it so great for anybody who joins the company in this point forward. It's like, you really know, like, okay, this is who we are and what we stand for. So learning. Obviously, this is what we're talking about. It's such an important thing to do. And you have so many great examples of like leaning into learning. How do you also find time to get the work done? Uh, when you, if you have such an open mindset, if you are so curious, you're constantly sourcing new information. Like, how do you balance that with actually um, finding the time to get things done and, and maintaining for you that direction of the company instead of just getting lost in all the learning? Well, Great question. I, I think obviously learning is important, right? But at the end of the day, you have to you have to execute, you know. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I talk a lot about it early on in the book about going all in. And and sometimes when you when you decide on you you look at different options, then you decide on a direction, then you go all in on that, and then you got to get laser focused and 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 take it to implementation. Now there are there are times where you go all in and you look at it and you think you've you've done all the learning you've needed and, and it doesn't work out. And one of the things I've gotten much better with over the years is avoiding the sunken cost fallacy where yeah. you've, you've invested in something, you spent months on it and you want to pin, push it to the finish line, but new learnings have come up and you realize that it's really not the best choice anymore. It's a difficult thing to do, but sometimes you just have to cut your losses and move in a different direction. Yeah, yeah. But learning is, is fantastic. And everything, but you also, as a leader, especially, you, you have to you have to get serious and and, and go all in and and, and and execute, and have a team it. around you that helps execute. Yeah, definitely. No, it's a it's a I, you do have to go all in. But there's that expression. I don't know. It might be an Adam Grant one, but it's strong opinions lightly held. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Which is uh, which is such a. a, a great and I also like the one um, there. It's like when the facts change, I change my mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. right. You just have to 
you just have to you just have to do that, right? If, if it turns out that you're going down the path and, and maybe you didn't have all the facts or or maybe the facts aren't exactly what you thought they are, then change your mind, go in a different direction. You Nothing actually, wrong with being right, wrong. Yeah, you have that in the book. It's and I think you credit John Maynard Keynes with that. Although yes. you say it's unsure. Unsure, but I mean, a lot of people yeah. say that, but it's a good, yeah. it's a really good one. Yeah. So how do you curate where you, you know, what to learn and read? I mean, there's so much information out there. There's more books published every year than any human being could read in their entire lifetime. And, uh, and there's a lot of disinformation out there and bad information out there. Like, how do you curate, not just what you learn from the people, you know, and stuff, but like what to read, what to, what to learn? Well, my advice that I always give uh, work the, with learn it first. Yeah. <laughs> I would say my advice that I always give to the people that I mentor, um, especially new people into the workforce, is read as many biographies as you can. You know, um, I think biographies are amazing. I mean, you take you could take somebody's some of the most successful people in the world. I just got done reading a um, a great biography on Nelson Mandela, another one, and it's just there's so many learning lessons that you can get from, from reading biographies. So whether you're a big reader or not, maybe set aside and read, set a goal of reading one biography a quarter. You know, I, I try to read one a month, which is much more difficult now with um, two little ones. Yeah. Um, as far as what I curate to read, it's, or, or learn, I, I like to just, you know, I, I have certain, you know, CNBC and I like to stay current in the, in the world events. And, um, and so I just, Try to focus on maybe 20 minutes of consistent um, reading a morning or listening to podcasts. And really, when you're out about with friends or people you network with, just asking questions and, and really kind of shutting up and listening to what they have to say. I think you can learn so much from others. Um, yeah, I mean, so that's that's kind of how I how I go about it. I, I like what you bring in there. And this actually seems consistent with a, um, a lot of things that you talk about is you cast a wide net. Mm-hmm. Like you're not just looking at well, what do other business leaders say or what do other people. Absolutely, know? I know you look at that stuff because we we sit down together as a group and look at it. But you're looking at like everything. You know, this you brought your sports in. You, I know you like uh, uh, historical figures, so you cast a pretty wide net in terms of where you're collecting information. I think that's really important. I mean, I think that you would bore yourself if all you did was read business books all the time. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I I really try to. Um, diversify. I mean, I love reading fiction. I'm a huge uh, Michael Connelly, um, Jack Reacher fan. And I also love reading about, you know, past wars and um, great leaders, whether they are coaches in sports or world leaders, uh, have a Margaret Thatcher book that I was just looking over, you know, so there's, there's all types of different, and I think you should really, uh, you know, kind of diversify your, your, your learning. And, and try to stay away from some of the, I, I, I do my best to try to stay away from some of the garbage on social media. I don't think, you know, like you said, disinformation, um, you know, it, it's all around us, but, you know, try to f- focus your intentions on um, product, being productive. Yeah, I, uh, I think of it as that uh, fox and hedgehog thing. That hedgehog knows one thing really well, and a fox knows a little bit about a lot of things. And uh, there's so much emphasis to be like a hedgehog if you're starting a business or whatever. Um, but there's sometimes people undervalue the importance of being a fox. Mm-hmm. Like those are often the people who make the best predictions. They often have the, bring the most creativity and that sort of first principles thinking, where suddenly you see something in a different way. Um, and so, in that sense, cast that wide net, be a little bit of a fox. Um, I do think that's something we try to do at Learn It. Absolutely. 
what advice would you give young people who are just starting out in their careers and maybe they're aspiring to be a leader or maybe they're they just they're starting on they just want to be a good a good warrior they want to be that person who gets hired by you and maybe they don't have that many credits on their resume like what's your advice for young people starting out my advice is to be open you know to to put yourself out to put yourself out there and be open go go on as many interviews as you can and um learn from each one of them um and 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 there's a great book out there called range i think it, i think the author is david epstein it's a fabulous fabulous book you know i don't think you need to lock yourself into one career the whole time but i i do think when you do get out in the world give it your best give it your best shot work hard don't don't be constantly looking for other avenues or other ways to other jobs uh, and take advantage of when you get hired take advantage of if you have the opportunity to to meet in person, hopefully, if not, you know, virtually with senior leaders, people who who have 20 years experience, 10 years experience, pick their brain, you know, um, that's really my advice, go in and, and do your best. Don't take yourself too seriously, but work hard, you know, you're gonna you're gonna make a lot of mistakes. And, you know, I, I've worked alongside a lot of Ivy League people and and Stanford, and those are awesome, awesome schools. And people, they're they're great. They they turn out great um, people into the workforce. But if but if you're if you're not, if you're from a, a junior college or a state school, by no means should you feel like you don't have the opportunity to be successful. Yeah. And that's that's one of the main reasons why I wrote wrote this book was yeah. um, I don't have a Ivy League degree. Um, I've learned a lot from people who do, um, but I just think kind of through hard work and and doing your best, you know, you can, you can be successful. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if it's okay to call out Joe Patty, but you tell that great story about how Joe Patty started with, just, it was just straight up grit and resilience. And then oh. you, you, it was attitude. And then you together, you found the right fit for him in the company. Yeah. Joe, Joe Patty, uh, one of our top instructors at learn it, uh, make a great story, relatively short, came to learn it. I, I immediately met him. Um, he was referred to me again, internal referral from Heather, uh, D'Angelo, who is our HR manager, uh, who's now was at Learn for a couple of years and, and moved on. And she referred, she was not even at Learn anymore. She referred Joe and said, you're going to love this guy. And Joe came in, I met with him and he had a great attitude. And, and right away I said, hey, you know, if you want to take some free classes and here's a book. And a lot of times you, you say that to people and they just kind of blow it off. They don't do it. Joe was there the next day. He was in there taking classes. He was reading the books. He's coming back, reporting back to me on it. And at the time, we really needed somebody in sales. And so we hired Joe and he gave it 100% effort. Everybody loved him. But you could tell early on that he was struggling and it wasn't really his thing. And I looked at him like, hey, you know what? This is somebody I want on our team. You know, and um, we sat down and we discussed. He had a love for technology. He also had a love for acting. And um, we moved him over into the uh, the instructor role. And, and some people thought, well, I'm, you know, he didn't succeed in sales. How do you, you know, how do you know he's going to be successful here? And I wasn't moving him into another role just to get him out of one bad situation into another bad situation. I, I gave him an opportunity because he had those traits, the humility and the integrity and, and just yeah. the resilience that, yeah. that we're looking for. Yeah. And um, it's one of the, I mean, one of the stories I'm, you know, I've got hundreds of people that I'm super proud of, but um, Joe is really one of them. Well, and I might have this wrong, but it's a little bit like that, uh, that scene in the princess bride where uh, the, the guy 
ends up on the dread pirates robert ship and and every day it's like well i'll probably kill you tomorrow and he just yeah. makes himself invaluable and if and if i got the story right it was kind of like in the beginning it's like well i don't know if we have a place for you right now but he just kept showing he literally just kept showing up at the office and had this attitude where you finally said okay we'll give you a shot did yeah. is that right that, yeah that's that's i mean he he kept showing up you know yeah. and, and again going back to the young people or, or even people who are maybe recently laid off keep showing up keep putting yeah. in the work you know yeah. it'll pay off as for princess bride um, i you'd have to um I, i'm more familiar with frozen and frozen 2 uh, yeah with, with the age range <laughs> of my children so you'd have to either ask my wife yeah. or or yeah, yeah. Quiz me yeah. on 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 frozen and frozen 2 yeah that's good we're seeing too yeah. yeah um yeah so i uh, just to be clear the recommendation is don't go hassle we're not saying go hassle people but um you know don't don't give up you don't it's not it's like if you don't have that ivy league degree it doesn't mean that you can't be really successful because look attitude is has so much to do with everything and i also want to point out for leaders out there it also doesn't mean if somebody's failing in one position it doesn't mean yeah you have to move them into a different position. You know, I mean, it, it, some people just aren't a good fit. And if they're not a good fit, it's best to either coach them up or coach them out. And yeah. a lot of times when you let somebody go, you're doing them a favor, you're, yeah. you know, and, and giving them an opportunity to move on. Yeah. Joe was a situation where he was the right fit, just in the wrong role, you know, yeah. as a, as an individual, he's right fit, but just in the wrong role. So that that's important. I see a lot of the uh, people I work with um, who are managers and they're, they're afraid to, or, or they can't let somebody go. So they move them into other parts of the organization. And I always say that's like management 101 not to do is move a problem somewhere else. It's, it's um, setting yeah. performance guidelines up for individuals, being very clear on what they need to accomplish. And if they're not accomplishing it, it's time to have them move on and give them an opportunity to work somewhere else. Yeah, nice uh okay two more two more questions for you and obviously if you have more but um if you could give your younger self advice what would it be if i could give my younger self advice i think it would be kind of around imposter syndrome and uh in my book i took talk about what's called the lucky curse and what yeah. the lucky curse is I was really fortunate to come from a great family, mom and, and a father with a, a, a lot of, um, with a lot that most other people don't have, you know, I mean, we, we came from a, a financially successful company and a lot of opportunities for me to um, play sports in different leagues and, and um, then move on to, to learn it. And sometimes that I, I felt like, well, in sports at first it was like, well, Sure, I'm great. I'm uh, I've I've done great, but maybe it's because I've I've had other opportunities that some kids don't. But then, and then when it gets to learn it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, sure. This my dad was able to put me in this position, and you know, and and maybe I don't belong here. But then, what I've realized is that, like in baseball, when you're in the batter's box, it doesn't matter how you got there. It matters what you do. You know, I mean, that that's, that matters what you do. And so, and the same thing goes with work, you know, um, if maybe I felt I didn't belong at certain points at Learn It early on in my career, I've realized that I've, I've worked through it. And, you know, sometimes you, you got to be humble, but you also have to realize, you know, sometimes 
you do have to go easier on yourself and and and, and realize, hey, you know what, and and be proud of some of the successes that you had. Mm-hmm. So my earlier self, I think I, I I really struggled with that because you know sometimes kids would tease you like, oh, you have this, you have that, right? And so, um, I think it is part of the reason why I struggled at Pepperdine, you know, going into it was really excelled earlier on. Then I get to college where everybody's at a certain level. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am here. And so that was a big learning lesson that, and, you know, I think it's also, it's important to uh, um, really, like I said, you always struggle a little bit with, you know, know it-all attitude when as younger, you know, just getting past that phase so that you can continue to, uh, I wish I would have earlier on too, taking advantage of more mentors that, that were available to me, you yeah. know. They kind of go together, don't they? It's like you have imposter syndrome, then you have more fear, and then you kind of hang out even more to things you probably shouldn't. Right. Yeah, instead of being open. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good question, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, last one. If you had to, if you, you know, to again, the the title of the book is The Learn It All Leader. And when does it come out again? April 18th. And how can people get it? How you can get it is, I mean, you could probably hit me up and I'll give you a free copy. Or, uh, <laughs> no, uh, Amazon would be great. You could, you could, you can purchase it on Amazon. So learn it or all. Barnes and Noble or whatever, but yeah. Damon Lemby and any of the major outlets. And uh, what would you say are the top four or five takeaways from the book? Your little, your little, uh, just that top four or five takeaways. I, I would say, uh, I'd say the top four or five takeaways from the book are that if you're a leader, you weren't born a leader or, or you're not finished, you're, you're in the making, okay? So that, that's one. Number two, I would say that uh, imposter syndrome and fear are real. Learn to deal with it, work your way through it. Everybody's gonna make mistakes. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's another learning lesson, key takeaway from the book. Also, I talk a lot about decision-making in it and um, not a deep dive, but decision-making is really important you know, in, in all aspects of life, you know, yeah. so focus on um, learning to, to, to how you can become a better decision maker. And overall, the importance of learning agility in, in, in the world today, you know, you see a lot about chat GPT and how it takes over, how it takes over. I look at it as more of a supplement, you know, so how you can learn alongside it, learning agility is important. And, and then also, I think integrity, I think it's important to, to do the right thing. You know, and um, and not take shortcuts. So, yeah. to me, those are really the the key takeaways that I try to come across in the book, and of course, share uh, the stories of some of the current and great um, staff members we have and yeah. team members we have that I think a lot of people will be able to um, relate to. You know, and and they could see themselves in these stories. I hope. Okay, what's next? When's the next book coming out? I don't know. It was a, it was a, um, it was a, it was a tough, it, it, it was a, it took me two or three years. I mean, it took 28 years to come up with the stories, but um, it was a, a tough um, process. Um, more importantly for me is uh, learn it and, and helping support our customers and continue to grow and build the, the great teams. And what I'd like to say to everybody listening to this is if I was able to do this, you are too. You know what I mean? So go out there, and, um, you know, figure out what you want to do. You may not know it yet. You may not know it in a couple of years, but work hard and, um, you know, do your best and keep learning. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you for the time. Thanks, guy.
Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Darren.